sit in the pew beside someone whom you forgive when it's hard, to sit across from someone whom you bear their burdens and you love them even when they are difficult to love, when the world sees that, that's what authenticates new life in Christ. One another is not just reserved for those people that are easy to love, that share a lot of things in common with you, that you just get along with, you enjoy their company so much. Jesus says even sinners do that. This is loving one another when it's hard to love one another. You know, that's what 1 Corinthians 13 is all about. We heard that earlier when I read that a little bit, little bit earlier. 1 Corinthians 13, the, the great chapter on love, one of the greatest travesties ever is when, I know you've been there too, it's when you hear that passage read at the wedding of unbelievers. The passage has has nothing to do with the romantic love of unbelievers. That passage is all about loving one another in the body when they're hard to love. Look at all the ways that Paul says, love when it's hard. And furthermore, he says, this is the ultimate validation that you are in a state of grace. He says, spiritual gifts don't do it. That this is in the context. That whole context of 1 Corinthians is about these people that are abusing spiritual gifts. And they're saying, look at my gift. Look at what I'm gifted to do. And Paul says, gifts don't validate grace. He says, knowledge doesn't validate grace. You could speak all the knowledge you want about God. Paul says, even martyrdom doesn't validate grace. You could give your body up to be burned, he says. He says there's one validation that you are in a state of grace with God and that is love. When it's hard. Beloved, we don't love one another in words only, but in deeds and in actions. We read from the Apostle John in 1 John chapter 3, verse 18 and verse 19. So this is our primary, our central, our base command. Love one another as I have loved you. This is our primary, our central, our fundamental way in which we pay our debt to one another, which is to give to one another the love of God that He gives to you through me and through one another. This is also the base, primary, fundamental way in which we pay our debt to the world, which is to authenticate our identity as the new humanity. Now let's look, move on to the second thing, to be in one accord with one another. So we, we know that phrase, okay? You come across it all the time in your New Testaments, of one accord, of one mind, it's all over the place. So there's this idea of oneness, one accordness, unity that we come across quite often in the New Testament. Now, one of the struggles, I, just, I love sharing my struggles with you all. One of the struggles as you preach God's Word, is categorizing all this stuff. Okay? You can understand what the Scriptures are saying, but, but you've got to go further than that. You, you have to take it and give it to other people. And to give it to other people, you've got to categorize it. You've got to sort of outline it. You've got you to have some sort of organization. So how do you do that? This oneness, this unity, either, it works either way, it either is the second greatest command that God gives us, our second most fundamental command 
the second way in which the body of Christ validates, or it is the way in which the first command works itself out. It's the way that we do love each other, okay? It works both ways. And I struggle, okay, which way? All right, so I'll give it to you both ways. You pick the one that you like. In the end, it's all the same thing. But this unity, this one accordness, we can think of it either as the, the, the follow-up, the second greatest command that we get is to be of one mind, to be of one accord, to be of one spirit, to be of one heart. Or you could think of it as this be of one accord, this unity is sort of a catch-all phrase for all the one another commandments that we talked about. That when those one another commandments are followed through, all of that is creating this one accord. That's what, in fact, one accord is, is a body of people who are following those one another commandments. It works both ways. And I think there's equal truth in both ways. It just, which way you categorize it, I don't know. All right, so this, this command of unity, this one accordness, is, the Scriptures say to us, another way in which we are required to validate our true identity to the world. Also, it is another way in which, or I think at least the second greatest way, in which we in the body of Christ are to live out our debt to one another, or if you want to put it this way, to embrace and follow our privileges and duties in the body number of different ways that we could put this. But this unity, this unity in the body, this oneness, this togetherness. Look at a couple of scriptures here. John 17, verse 20 and 21. They, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are one in me and I in you, that they may also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. So here you see the command. The command is oneness, unity, the desire on the part of Jesus, of the Father. He's asking the Father, I desire that they be one, but you also see the validation that they may believe that I am sent by you. So there's this validation, this authentication, but there's also the command. We see the same sort of pattern. Romans 15, verse 5 through 7. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see there the authentication, the validation along with the command. We see it in Philippians 1. Only let the manner of your life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or I'm, or I'm absent and I may hear of you, that I may hear that you are standing firm in one spirit, one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in anything by your opponents. There's the, there's the unity. There's the command, the desire for unity. Here's the authentication. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. Okay? So we see that dovetailing really, that that coinciding together. Here is how you live out the command of love one another. Here is how you live out all that umbrella of one another commands. This is what it looks like. It looks like of one accord. Also, you are commanded to be of one accord. And when you do this, when you live out those one another commands, you are also validating to the world that the identity that you claim is a true and genuine identity. See how that works? Now, just a word or two about this church unity, this one accordness. Because when we talk about church unity, don't you sort of have those mixed emotions? 
you know, when you see it, it's a joyful thing. When you experience it, it's a joyful thing. But when you see how it's lacking, it's a sad thing. It should be. So we struggle with this idea of church unity. So, so I want to say just a couple things about this, this idea of church unity that I think will help us. The first thing I want to say is this. Unity of God's people, one accordness of God's people, is a work of the Spirit. We don't create it. We don't begin it. Our role is to maintain it. Look at Paul's words to the Ephesians. When we get here to Ephesians chapter 4, Paul's going to have about eight verses in a row that are they're just hammering this idea of unity. In fact, the whole book of Ephesians really is about this. Chapter 2, God's breaking down the wall of hostility. Chapter 1, He has made you one in Christ. Over and over, he's sort of hitting the same theme. When he gets to chapter 4, it goes into overdrive. Here's what he says. I therefore urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. You see the unity there. Eager to maintain the unity of who? The unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So it's the Spirit's unity. He created it. Your role, Ephesians, is to maintain it. So that is comforting, right? That's a, that's a comforting thought. It's not our responsibility to create a unified church. It is not our responsibility to unify all the fractures in the church universal. Our role, what we're charged to do, is to maintain the work of the Spirit, which is the unity, the bond of peace that's His, that He created. So I find that a, a bit comforting to know that God doesn't look upon His people and expect His people to create some sort of context of unity out of nothing. It's His work. So that's the first thing that I see. The second thing that I want to call attention to, and I think that this probably, I hope this is the most helpful thing that I would say about this topic of unity, is this. We know that the Scriptures connect together non-believers, those who are without seeing a disunified church and resulting in condemnation in their mind, right? Not, a, not an affirmation, but a contradiction, right? When the, those without, when the world without sees a church that's fractured, that doesn't authenticate our identity, it contradicts our identity. And that's a sad thing. We should be grieved by that. However, I think that we tend to be grieved more by what I would call fractures in the church universal than fractures in the church local. We are the church local right here. The church universal would be all the true believers in Jesus Christ worldwide, which is very fractured, right? Hundreds of denominations. We hear about this all the time. The world likes to throw this in our face about all these denominations and how these believe this and all the, okay. The fractures in the church universal can be a thing to grieve, to lament. But here's the real point that I wanted to drive at is this. Fractures in the church, the church universal, are not nearly as damaging as fractures in the church local. That's where this whole thing really 
goes. All of this really turns on fractures in the church local. I don't think that there are many non-believers out there who can honestly, genuinely say, you know, I would believe if it wasn't for all these denominations. I don't think that that's a valid reason. However, I do think it's a valid reason for a non-believer to say, you know, (laughs) those Christians, they can't get along with each other. They can't forgive each other. They can't love each other. They can't support each other. I know this, this, and I know these people, and I know this, and I've seen it happen. That is what brings disgrace to the name of Christ. Far more than men and women who might be led by their scriptures to have differences in worship. This is where it really hits the road. This is where it really counts. And this is the thrust of the New Testament's words to us of unity. To sit in the pew beside someone whom you forgive when it's hard. To sit across from someone whom you bear their burdens and you support them when it's hard and you love them even when they are difficult to love. Let me tell you, when the world sees that, that's what authenticates new life in Christ. And when you experience in the body of Christ, that's when you know you're a part of a supernatural body. When the world sees Christians forgive each other and love each other in hard ways, it validates our identity to them. And when you are part of a church that practices that, it lets you know that you are part of a supernatural group of people. 